To get down to business on the weekend's number one business program. Known as the king of networking, your host, Shalom Klein, has worked with thousands of entrepreneurs and created countless jobs. So, to success, let's get down to business. And indeed, we're all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship and business. We talk a lot about business here. You're on with Get Down to Business. And I'm your host, Shalom Klein. Remember, you can always download podcasts from Get Down to Business on my website at shalomkline.com. And while you're there, don't forget to follow me on Twitter at Shalom Klein. It's going to be a jam-packed week of content and information you will not want to miss. So let's jump right in with the communications expert that Silicon Valley's top companies have turned to again and again. And that's Gabe Zickerman. Gabe has been working with companies such as Apple, Google, Facebook, Microsoft, and Amazon. And uh, he has written a new book called The AHA Method, Communicating Powerfully in a Time of Distraction. Gabe, welcome to the program. Hi, Shalom. Nice to meet you. Absolutely. A pleasure to have you on the program. I'm really passionate about this topic. Um, Public speaking is important because I think that so often uh, people think that, gosh, that's when I go to a conference. That's when I go to a meeting. Those are the people that are speaking. But I know you believe that everybody's constantly presenting. Everybody's constantly sharing. So, Gabe, let's dive right in. Why are public speaking skills so especially important today? I mean, if we learned one thing from the pandemic, right, it's that we have to constantly improve our ability to communicate with other people. New technologies, new approaches, new ways of people interacting with each other are constantly being added to the way that we communicate. And professionally, being able to communicate, being able to make your case, being able to pitch your ideas, being able to lead people, all requires you to be able to communicate in a powerful and persuasive way. But people are more distracted than ever, right? Their devices, their computers, right? Especially if you're doing a Zoom call, you are literally talking to people who are behind the screens of their devices. And in order to be able to communicate effectively, get your message across, you know, lead people, pitch, raise money, get what you want out of life and your career, you've got to be able to cut through that noise. You have to be able to get and capture people's attention and communicate with them effectively. And that is not the same challenge that it used to be in the 1950s when most public speaking theory and practice was perfected. Yeah, no question about it. Folks are more distracted than ever. Uh, And, uh, you know, one of the things I was taught is, you know, you have to learn how to read the room, but you're right that that's more challenging now than ever. Uh, And I know in your new book, The AHA Method, Communicating Powerfully in a Time of Distraction, you talk about a lot of different tips. So Gabe, I always love to get to know the person behind the microphone. How did you become so passionate about this really, really interesting, but again, very important topic? Well, I'll preface this by saying that most of my work and my other books have been on the topic of gamification. And so in that regard, I've been involved in kind of making all the apps and products that we use more distracting and sticky. So my, my core set of research has been about how to make apps, products, websites more engaging, more sticky, more game-like. And that's what most people know me as. That's what my TED Talks are primarily about historically. And so there's this moment, and, and I'm really passionate about public speaking. I'm a very chatty person. If you know me in person, I love to talk. And... 
so, you know, realizing that I'm somehow partially responsible for this epidemic of distraction, Shalom, you know, <laughs> recognizing that a lot of the ideas that I have, have put forward have been part of the reason why people are so distracted, why kids are so distracted and adults are so distracted, made me realize that we needed to reapproach this problem in a more modern, more behavioral science driven way. So the same behavioral science that makes your favorite games just, you know, incredibly, incredibly addictive is the behavioral science that we bring to the table in the aha method to help you cut through that addiction and distraction and actually reach people. And so that's, you, you, that's you're, you're solving your own problems, Gabe. Got it. Um, so we'll, we'll yeah. blame you for all the gamification, as you said. But uh, really, there's some great tips here in the AHA method. So, wow, distraction. We were just talking about some of those distractions. Let's talk about what things are like today. And again, yeah. and you can blame a lot of things on the today that we have. Again, the devices. You can talk about, you know, COVID and, you know, causing folks to work remotely and have meetings on Zoom and so on. But how does this people's distraction affect their, their professional communication? And what's the way to overcome this barrier? Yeah, I'll just give you a really simple example, okay? When I was in university, we were expected to sit down and pay attention to the professor for 45 minutes or 60 minutes, or in some cases, two hours, right? And you'd get this, this expert get up in front of the room and lecture to you for this two-hour time frame. And because I'm old enough to remember going to school at the very dawn of the computer age, there was absolutely no way we were allowed to be behind a device while the professor was talking right? We distracted ourselves in our own ways, but we weren't behind a screen. Well, now in most professional settings, um, you know, many of the people in the meeting are going to be behind their devices. They're going to be in their devices, or they're going to be in a completely other space that, and you can't read the room, right? You talked about reading the room. It's almost impossible to read a room when half the people are not even in the room and the other half of the people are behind the screen. So you can't even really see what they're doing. So as a result of that, you have to bring a scientific approach to engagement that's less about being just a charismatic speaker who just knows how to do this instinctively and more process-oriented, structured approach, which is what we talk about in the AHA method. And again, if you want to level up in your career, even if you're not an entrepreneur pitching for money, right? It's obvious if you want to be an entrepreneur leading people, pitching for money, trying to get attention in the world, you're going to have to be a compelling speaker, right? But even if you're a manager, a leader, and want to level up your career, you've got to be able to do it. And so to be able to do that, you can't just be like, hey, I just flew in and my arms are tired, you know, um, kind of communicator anymore. You've got to be much more scientific. You've got to be much more rigorous. And that's what I tried to bring to this experience. Totally. Again, I'm chatting with the author of The AHA Method, Communicating Powerfully in a Time of Distraction. That's Gabe Zickerman. And uh, Gabe, uh, you know, the reality is, is that folks are folks are afraid of public speaking. Um, yeah, folks are. are always scared of presenting. If there's one thing that you want our listeners to remember from this conversation, what is it? How can they get past that, that challenge? Okay. Let me start off by saying this. I have given several TED Talks. I speak publicly all the time. I coach, I help people. I built a this method for helping people speak, I still get nervous every time I do a speech. And most people are shocked when they hear that from me, okay? They think that can't possibly be the case. I hear it all the time from, you know, from people I, that I coach or people that I work with. You know, you must, it must be so calm. You got ice running in your veins. You do this all the time. And I'm like, no, I still get nervous every time I do a speech. And the reason why I still get nervous, Shalom, I don't get nervous because I'm afraid that I'm going to forget my lines. 
I get nervous because I really want the audience to pick up what I'm putting down. That's what I'm really focused on. I'm focused on the outcome of every talk. And I think if you're a professional thinking about your communication skills, that's also where you need to be focused. All this attention on, am I going to flub my lines? Am I going to forget my lines? Am I going to you know, be perfect and say every word that I need to say? One of the things that I focus on in the AHA method is you can literally overcome that fear through the application of discipline and process and focus on what's actually important, which is, is the content getting what you need it to achieve, which is the priority. Once you understand that, once you're in sync with that goal and objective, the rest of it, the actual stuff that people think they're afraid of, the, I'm going to forget everything I had to say. I'm going to like, you know, collapse on the stage and people are going to laugh at me. All that stuff melts away if you bring a disciplined approach to it. So getting that message through being authentic. Absolutely. Gabe, we only have about one minute remaining and I want to, I want to keep it real keep it personal over here. Gabe, if you don't mind, share what's the most embarrassing or crazy thing that happened to you when you've gotten up on the stage, whether virtual or in person. Oh my gosh. Okay. You guys, this is (laughs) once went to give a speech at a very, very uh, kind of, intimate high-end event lots of very very important people at this event you know late in the evening it was at uh, microsoft headquarters there were about 15 very important people in the room and uh, part way through my talk okay i'm giving this talk to this group of people very influential people and at 8 p.m all of microsoft's internal systems shut down so at 8 p.m on the dot everything shuts down lights computers projectors everything shuts down and nobody knows this in the room my talk happens to start at like 7.58 p.m. So two minutes into it, everything just shuts down right in the middle. Yeah. So imagine all the power going out. And I had to just deliver, continue to deliver the speech while this was happening. And uh, when we came back online, when we came back from the power, uh, from this you know, effective power outage, they're scrambling to put everything in pieces. Yeah. I was exactly where I meant to be in the talk. Oh, my goodness. And if you can handle a power outage, you can do anything. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's awesome. Gabe, you are the man that Silicon Valley turns to when they have questions about communicating. And you are available now to our listeners and to entrepreneurs all over the place with the AHA method, communicating powerfully in a time of distraction. I know it's available on Amazon and on your website, GabeZickerman.com, G-A-B-E-Z-I-C-H-E-R-M-A-N-N.com. Gabe, thanks so much for joining us and sharing your expertise with our listeners. We greatly appreciate it. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Looking forward to having you back on as we continue to share communications best practices, which I know is something that every single small business owner and entrepreneur can benefit from. Quick break here on the show about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Get Down to Business, the show all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. I've got a treat in store for you. I've got Dr. Brad McLean, who's the founder of Designing Transformative Experiences, LLC. He's a social scientist interested in the nature and psychology of identity development, learning, and leadership with over 20 years of experience working with organizations and leaders of all stripes. I could go on and on with his bio, which is quite fascinating because he actually has worked at NASA in the space shuttle program. We'll dive deeper into that. Brad, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. 
it's great to uh, great to talk to you. Motivating people. I know that's something you're super passionate about. And in fact, you've written a book, uh, Designing Transformative Experiences, a toolkit for leaders, trainers, teachers, and other experienced designers, which I know is somewhat formed based on your past experiences. So Brad, I always love to get to know the person by the microphone. Tell our listeners a little bit about yourself. Oh my gosh. Well, I, so I'm in the business of identity. So I wear lots of different identity hats. The first and foremost one is that I'm a you know faculty member, a social scientist, like you said, at the University of Colorado in Boulder. I'm also the director of corporate research at the National Center for Women in IT, where I get to work with tech companies and fintech companies, uh, large and small, all the ones you've heard of and the little ones you never heard of and everybody in between on this challenge of leadership in a time of rapid change. And it's been my pleasure and great interest to bring a new view of leadership uh, through social science research to those audiences. I also work for the Jane Goodall Institute and have done for over 20 years. And that is something that has shaped one of my many identities uh, and just been inspired by the leadership that I've seen from Jane and the wonderful people who work with her. Um, of course, we all bring all these different identities from our past with us, but those are the things that keep me busy these days. That's wild. Okay. So the, uh, the, the, your amazing book, Designing Transformative Experiences, a toolkit for leaders, trainers, teachers, and other experienced designers, I know uh, is out this month, which is awesome. And in the book, again, more of a, more of a toolkit than a book, um, readers can dramatically increase their capacity to design and deliver experiences that change lives. But, you know, Brad, it's interesting. I know you are a big fan of Elvis, but not in the classic sense. Tell us a little bit about the Elvis framework, which I know is mentioned in, in the book. Framework. Absolutely. It is a book. It's a toolkit. It's a lot of things. The book has many identities. But yes, I figured, you know, academic frameworks and, and being a, a creature of NASA back in the day, I was surrounded by acronyms and I hated it. And, you know, I figured if you're going to have an acronym, you might as well have one that's memorable. So when I saw the opportunity to fit this to Elvis, the king, I was very inspired. So Elvis is the framework, the academic framework for this social science. It stands for experiential learning variables and indicators system so experiential learning is at the root of this you know the, this new view of leadership is called experience design leadership and it asks leaders to recast themselves as experience designers you know we're all familiar with command and control style leadership or even service leadership or even some of us with transformational leadership but in all those cases leaders in a corporate or educational space they're trying to do you know the usual things deadlines budgets quarterly revenue numbers uh, hiring and promotions all those things that are so important and, and indeed are important but what happens if we recast ourselves as leaders as designers of experiences for ourselves and our teams, suddenly a whole new toolkit, a whole new toolbox of social psychology opens up for us to see our roles differently. Elvis articulates that. It says your team isn't just a group of people, it's an experience, and you are the lead designer of that experience. And not only a run-of-the-mill experience, it's a learning experience if you are a skilled designer, if you are a skilled leader. And that's, that's Elvis in a nutshell. Well, it's great that you're breaking this down, um, Brad, to, uh, to again, learn from the, the lessons, which we'll talk about again in a moment from some of these uh, other programs, some really cool programs like the Space Shuttle program, and again, collaborating with Jane Goodall for over 15 years 
on her world conservation efforts. Um, but you're bringing it down to a level that certainly every business owner, every leader in general, trainers, teachers, and other folks can uh, benefit from. I like to keep this really, really practical for our listeners. Entrepreneurs, small business owners, what is the lesson, the key takeaway without sharing all the secrets from designing transformative experiences that you want folks to walk away with and that they can potentially even put into practice in the week ahead? Oh, yeah. And that's the real key question, right? If you cast yourself as an experienced designer and the research tells us, the social science of Elvis tells us at the end of the day, whatever experience we have designed or not, we will translate into a narrative. We're hardwired for this uh, cognitively. Even this podcast today, both of us, we will go away and tell our friends and colleagues about this conversation we had. We'll tell a story about it. Yours will be a little different than mine, but they'll still be around the same event. So the question for leaders who say, yes, I'm going to be an Elvis experienced design leader today. I am going to ask myself, what is the narrative I want my team to generate from the experience that I've helped design? And of course, we co-create these experiences. It's not like I impose it on somebody as a designer. I invite them to it. I invite them to a conversation where we co-create an experience. Well, what is that narrative at the end of the day, and how can I shape it? If we're successful, the narratives that people generate from the leadership experiences we create are powerful. If they're powerful enough, they inform our most prized possession, our identity narratives. That is, those experiences, the narratives we generate, change our sense of self in some important way. And that can ripple through our work. It can ripple through our lives. And with my research, the hundreds of people that I've worked with, it ripples through their lives for years and years to come. It's one of those threshold moments or experiences where nothing is the same afterwards. And that's what we call a transformative experience, why the book is called Designing Transformative Experiences. It's kind of the holy grail for experienced design leaders, if you will. That's the take. So speak, Let's so speaking of that. transformative experiences, uh, again, I'm chatting with uh, Dr. Brad McLean, uh, the founder of Designing Transformative Experiences, uh, which is uh, also the name of his new book. Brad, what are some of those experiences that have shaped you from, uh, from again, working at NASA and some of the other uh, fantastic organizations that you've joined? What are some of those experiences and some of those key takeaways that really molded you into writing a book is not an easy feat. I know that. <laughs> yeah, this, this one was coming for 20 years, you know, and it was a bunch of chapters and papers and things before it was a book. Uh, but, you know, the formative thing that told me I was interested in, in transformative experience was actually a tragedy, but it turned out to be an inspiring one. When I worked on the space shuttle program, uh, my mission was the, the last space shuttle mission of the Space Shuttle Columbia, which, as we all know, was the second space shuttle disaster. I had the great pleasure of working with that crew for several years before they went up, and they were delayed for several years, so they existed together as a crew. And uh, tight bonds, uh, and so inspiring. But, of course, when the shuttle exploded on reentry, they were all killed, and I... I became lost in a, in a dark year of depression. However, going through that, working through that depression and seeing their example of dedicating and ultimately giving their lives to something they believed in, something that could potentially transform our human future, that is what inspired them. And I had to ask myself, what is inspiring me? What is it that I will give my life for 
in contribution to this world. And I, I thought my, you know, I'm not going to be an astronaut, but I am going to be a, a social scientist who gets into this question in education, learning, and leadership. How do transformations happen? The space shuttle accident transformed, but also inspired me in this direction. How did that work? How cognitively, emotionally, and from a social science view, does that work? And how can we use that knowledge, if we could understand it, as a new way to lead, not just teams and companies, but also our own lives and families and parenting. Uh, wherever mentor and protege relationships exist, how can we make the most of those kinds of experiences? And, and that was the most critical experience I had. Now, the stuff with Jane Goodall and the other amazing leaders at big, huge companies and small companies alike that I've had the pleasure of working with has only inspired me and taught me further. In many ways, I feel like the student. Uh, but I'm so grateful to share That's what awesome. I've learned in the form of this book. Well, Brad, glad you're glad you're sharing it with us, and again, bring it to uh, to entrepreneurs, small business centers, like many of those that are listening. Brad, how can we find a copy of uh, of again how we can design and lead our own transformative experiences? Well, first of all, we've got uh, the book and all the services we offer at trans designing transformativeexperiences dot com as well as wherever books are sold. So you've got your Barnes & Noble and your Amazon uh, as well. So that's the good place to start. Uh, you know, if anybody's interested in chatting more, they can always drop me a line through that website. Again, designingtransformativeexperiences.com. We're a small shop, so I read all the emails. Fantastic. <laughs> yeah. uh, Brad, really appreciate you joining us. Again, designingtransformativeexperiences.com. The book is out. And uh, quick break here on the show. Let's small business jobs and entrepreneurship. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Get Down to Business, the show all about small business, jobs, and entrepreneurship. I've been super excited for this conversation. I'm joined by Leif Hardwig, the CEO of Wealth VP, a company that helps match private investors with quality founders. He draws on over 30 years of experience in the software startups and financial service industries. And I'm super excited, as I said, to be joined by Leif Hartwig. Leif, welcome to the program. Thanks so much for joining us. The best place to start is actually in the very, very beginning. Um, and I'm curious to learn a little bit about your background and how you caught that entrepreneurial bug. Wow, it started a long time ago. Uh, I've spent decades in the financial services industry, um, be began my career uh, way back in the 80s, where I was an investment advisor then uh, moved on to become a business coach in the industry all over the U.S. and Canada, primarily teaching very high-end uh, uh, investment advisors and insurance agents, uh, and then moved on uh, as, as my career uh, continued with a software company that continued that growth, and then today in Wealth VP. Fantastic. So let's talk about the industry right now. Let's talk about uh, how companies are getting funded. We're having this conversation in just about mid-2023. You've, as you said, been doing this for a while. How are companies getting funded this year? What are some of the trends that, are, that you're seeing? Wow, the industry is in a mess right now. Uh, what we found is this middle marketplace that uh, where most of these private companies get funded are uh, all word of mouth. There was 5 million new startups last year, believe it or not, and $2.5 trillion going into this marketplace. However, it's not digitized at all. So it's very difficult 
for founders to find money. And so when they do, uh, typically in seed rounds, they, they'll go out with family and friends and others. Uh, but you can also imagine that these founders are brilliant in the areas in which they're launching their companies and their products, but they really don't know how to raise money. So their pitch decks are, are very, uh, how can I say it? Not well done. <laughs> um, and, and then, uh, their close rates, if you, I've heard that BlackRock, you know, the big monster uh, PE firm is, uh, gets about a 30% close rate. So you can imagine that companies themselves are less than 10%. So again, so, I'm chatting with Leif Hartwig from Wealth VP. He's been doing this for uh, quite a while uh, and, and certainly has watched the trends of uh, watching private investors get matched with quality founders. So we've been chatting about how companies are getting funded. Uh, I've got one more question for you, Leif, before we talk about uh, from the investment side. But what do those founders need to have in order to stand out and be better than all the rest? Well, number one, uh, it, when investors look at companies, they want to invest in great management. And so if they don't have much experience themselves, they need to get an advisory board to do that. Then they need to prepare their materials, uh, a pitch deck. And I would just suggest going to the internet because there's a certain order in which that's supposed to be done and most, most kind of screw that up. So those would be the two top things that they need to be doing is, is surrounding themselves with great people and also having a presentation that's really acceptable to the investor that's looking for investments like this. Okay, and uh, you know one one more question on the uh, on the investor side, and then we're going to talk a little bit about wealth VP. As an investor, how would you review a company before you uh, before you invest and before you fund that that amazing next uh, best thing on earth? I look for three things in companies that I would call investable companies, and most of them are not. So I'm a little Darwinian in that sense. Number one, they should be in revenues which means they have more than an idea, right? That, that they are actually selling something. Number two, that they're raising enough money to have runway because investors don't want you to run out of money and they'll lose all their money as well. So that's typically 18 months of your burn rate or of, of your monthly expenses. And then lastly, I look for season management that's either had exits or has come from the industry at a high level. In other words, they, they, the product they're launching is something they really know and they know the marketplace. But those would, be, those would be my three qualifications. Awesome. Again, I'm chatting with Leif Hartwig from Wealth VP. Leif, we only have uh, about a minute remaining. I want to understand, again, what you and your team are doing at Wealth VP and, of course, how we can get in touch with you. Well, what we're doing is, is we're setting out to digitize this uh, huge industry because it hasn't been done. So one of my uh, big investment advisors says, I get it. You're like Match.com meets Shark Tank. And I said, yeah, that's, that's pretty much it. We connect people via software product that matches different fields, you know, whether you're in ed tech or med tech on the company side. So really two marketplaces, right, that matches those worthy companies that, that need investments with those investors that are really ultra high net worth. Because if you're raising a million dollars or more, it's hard to do it at $10,000 per investor. So we look for those high net worth investors, typically with $25 million or more of assets under management, awesome. and we match them together. 
Fantastic, Leif. That's amazing. I know our listeners will want to get in touch with you because you post a lot of great content, a lot of great information, and can be a resource for so many of our listeners. What's the best way for us to get in contact? The best way to get in contact is through our website. That is WealthVP, Wealth Victor Paul. It stands for Wealth Venture Partners. So WealthVP.com. And and if you want to get to me directly, which I love people to do, it's Leif, L-E-I-F, at WealthVP.com. Leif Hardwick, thank you so much for joining us on Get Down to Business. We'll post all this information in the show notes. But until then, Get Down to Business, we'll be right back. Don't touch that dial. You're listening to the show all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. Welcome back to the show all about small business, jobs, and entrepreneurship. I'm thrilled to be joined by Curtis Bateman, who's an internationally recognized presenter, content developer, change consultant, really important on that one, business leader and coach. And his passion for enabling organizations at change was established early on. And I am super duper excited to uh, to have him on the program uh, as he is one of the authors of Change, How to Turn Uncertainty into Opportunity. Curtis Bateman, welcome to the program. Hey, thank you. It's great to be here. Absolutely. It's great to have you. Uh, Man, I mean, change is definitely a constant, that's for sure. And it's something that's true of both big businesses, small businesses. But I always love to get to know the people that are so passionate about the topic. Curtis, if you don't mind, tell our listeners a little bit about yourself. Yeah. Well, relevant to this topic, I, I started down this course about 20, 22 years ago specifically exploring change when I worked with uh, Dr. Spencer Johnson on the book, Who Moved My Cheese? They've been out for a while, and I I worked with him on that for a number of years. And I got involved in individual change and realized organizational change had some extra needs beyond what Who Moved My Cheese offered. So we started studying it and working on it with clients. It was really great. I did that as a small business owner, uh, which meant we went through a lot of change every time we were trying to do something new. There was a lot of change in our small business and uh, just, just develop this really practical viewpoint around change and how we might want to help organizations. I'd been in software for 10 years that led to a lot of change with clients when we, when we implemented it. And so it just, it was this growing um, groundswell of interest in it. And it's been a great journey trying to be really practical, figuring out how to help leaders individuals and organizations. And now we've got the book on the topic change how to That's turn right. uncertainty into opportunity. So Curtis, yeah. you are uh, the vice president of international direct offices at Franklin Covey. Yeah. Um, again, lots of it, lots of experience in this uh, in this topic over here and together with your co-authors, I know you have uh, certainly really uh, created a uh, a, a really fundamental guidebook, I'll call it that, mm-hmm. um, on the topic of change. So let's let's talk about change. Change is a constant, and we're all leaders. Everybody listening to this program is a leader. How would you say, and how do you talk about uh, leading people through the human reactions of change, which, as we said over and over again, is inevitable? Yeah, I like that you said guidebook. We've tried to be really practical, and one of the practical things we do is we talk about human reaction. Everybody, when a change is introduced, even if you're expecting it, there is this reaction to the change. And as a leader, we're not trying to identify a right reaction and say one is right or wrong. What we're trying to do is to say, hey, we're human. We have a reaction. Let's focus on the people rather than get so fixated on the change process. 
And if we can shift as a leader and focus on people, their reactions, and how to help them understand their reaction, make different choices about their reactions, and then engage with the change, we find that our people will engage, we get better alignment, and we start to move through the change much more effectively and efficiently. Absolutely. Curtis, um, I had a, uh, an old boss that always used to use this line. It drove me crazy. Do routine things routinely. But the interesting thing is that uh, change is actually part of our routine. We know that change is somewhat predictable. So in the guidebook, um, you talk about the change model. Let's yeah. talk a little bit about what our listeners, especially entrepreneurs and small business owners, need to know about the change model and how this makes change actionable and predictable. Yeah. One of the things we looked for in our, our early work was what's going on and is it consistent? And if we could map it, can we help people understand what to expect? Thus emerged the change model. And the change model looks at what goes on with our outcomes over time when a change starts to emerge on the landscape. And when it does, we move through four distinct zones. We, we move out of status quo into a phase where change has been announced. And that's the zone of disruption where there's all this disruptive energy, this emotional reaction. Got to figure out what to do with that and some choices we need to make. And then we find ourselves moving into the zone of adoption where we're starting to work on the change. We're starting to engage with it. And as we start to have success with that, hopefully what it's leading us to is a better outcome. We wouldn't want to change for no gain. And so what we're looking to do is understand what is the progress we're making? How can we leverage that to create gain and thus derive value from the change? So four zones, status quo, disruption, adoption, and innovation that we look at in this very predictable pattern. It happens in our personal life with change, in our professional life. And when we lead change, if we understand that, it'll help us know how to guide our people along the journey. Yeah, no question about it. It's funny that you, uh, you use some of those lines because we're so f uh, commonly saying no pain, no gain, but in reality, change <laughs> doesn't need to bring pain with it. Um, you know, Curtis, uh, the book is uh, Change, How to Turn Uncertainty into Opportunity. Real quick, how did you come up with that title? Why do you believe that uncertainty actually can lead to that opportunity? Yeah, most of change represents the uncertainty we find in the zone of disruption. What's going on? Why is this happening? What does it mean to me? So even though the change may be known, what's going on for me as a leader or an individual is uncertain. And if we follow this predictable process or pattern, there is a way to start turning that uncertainty that we feel as human beings into opportunity whether or not that's opportunity in our current context or even opportunity that we select as an individual, um, we find that that predictable pattern allows individuals, teams, leaders, and organizations to walk through that journey of uncertainty into opportunity using some of the tools and ideas that we share. I love it. Again, I'm chatting with Curtis Bateman, who is Franklin Covey's vice president of international direct offices, but important for this conversation is the best-selling author of Change, How to Turn Uncertainty into Opportunity. We're going to continue our conversation with Curtis in just a moment. Quick break. Don't touch that dial. We'll be right back.
Welcome back to Get Down to Business. You can always get on my website, shalomkline.com, or of course, get on your favorite podcast app. Be sure you rate, review, and share. It makes it easier for others to find out about all of the uh, amazing content creators, including Curtis Bateman, who is continuing our conversation with us over here uh, with over 25 years of experience in the training industry. Uh, Curtis and his colleagues have written Change, How to Turn Uncertainty into Opportunity, something I'm really passionate about. So Curtis, again, welcome back. And we've been chatting about the uh, predictability of change, um, Mm -hmm. which I guess really leads to my next question, which is how do we minimize the disruption of change? Yeah, this is this is the key because when we introduce a change, it creates a disruption, which is a decrease in engagement, a decrease in results, whatever that is, and it creates this dip in our output, our outcomes. And what we're looking to do is to minimize the amount of time we spend in that kind of U-shaped dip of change. And the more we can do to shrink that, then the faster and the more effectively we can move to the other side of it where we start to get the opportunity piece of this. So how do we do that? Well, it starts clear back in the zone of status quo, that zone, the first zone we talked about. And what we need to do is learn how to develop our change muscle so that we're in better change condition as we head into a change. That means learning how to anticipate some of the changes coming. And as we do that, how to prepare ourselves so that the change has less impact on us as we enter the zone of disruption. And it allows us to use that change capability or change muscle that we build both in the zone of status quo and through successful change experience, that change muscle um, becomes something we can rely on, but it's not something as human beings we focus a lot on. We generally think I'm going to endure this change and it's over, I'll move on. But we want to learn from it and develop capability. And each of these four zones in our book, we talk about what are some skills and capabilities we can do in each of the four zones to improve our change muscle and over time develop change competency so that future changes, the size of that dip, that impact on productivity and output shrinks and we become more effective at moving through it. So there's, there's some things to learn, but it's, it's all learnable. It's very approachable and it fits right in line with this predictable pattern, the change model. Absolutely. So one of the most important homework assignments that I have for all of our listeners, uh, again, is to make sure you pick up a copy of this fantastic read a guidebook. Um, and Curtis, uh, can you tell our listeners how they can find the book and get in touch with you and your team? Yeah. Yeah, so obviously it's available in bookstores everywhere, and it's also available on the online bookstores where you can get both the um, Kindle version, the hardback, or the audiobook version of it where you can listen to it. So that's, that's easily done in all of the bookstore formats you'd normally go find. Um, Franklin Covey also has access to this. If you go to franklincovey.com, you'll find on there um, some pages about the book, about me and my co-authors. You can learn a little bit about our backgrounds, where each of us came into the book writing experience, all from very different walks of life and professional experiences, which hopefully adds some really nice breadth and depth and stories and real world experiences that'll help each one of you connect with one of us to the ideas in the book. So that's at franklincovey.com. And of course, If you'd like to connect with me personally, I'm on LinkedIn, just forward slash Curtis Bateman. 
would love to connect with people and and have a dialogue around changes they might be experiencing in their lives or their organization. Because indeed, change is a constant, that's for sure. And I know, Curtis, you write a lot um, on, uh, on Franklin Covey's website, lots of great blog posts and, uh, yeah. and a frequent source of current information. Um, Curtis, really appreciate you sharing your expertise with our listeners, and I look forward to having you back on the program real soon. Great. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And uh, before we wrap up on the program, be sure to check out our sponsors, Tom Mirabali from healthplanchicago.com for all of your health insurance and affordable care act needs. You can reach him 630-863-3477, 630-863-3477, or his website, healthplanchicago.com. That's a wrap for us here on the show about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. Let's get down to business. We'll talk to you next Sunday at 6 p.m. right here on 856 The Answer. <laughs>